Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, while one team in this series has been oddly obsessed with playing with the Lakers' meat, punching them in the balls, and compromising their crown jewels, it was the Lakers who meted the moment, had the balls to hit a huge number of clutch shots, and, most importantly, had the king with the crown and the championship jewels to lead his men, hopefully back to the promised land. Also, Coco 5. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. And Alan, we are not sponsored by Coco 5 because apparently it is not an NBA-sponsored drink. Shout out D'Angelo Russell and Coco 5. But the Lakers are up 3-1 on the Memphis Grizzlies after a thrilling 117-111 overtime nail-biter, and now have a chance to close the series out and maybe get some rest before the next round, depending on how the Kings dub series closes. But goddamn, it's lit, Alan. What a game. It's lit. I'm sleep-deprived, but it's lit. Yes, we're going to get into it. I mean, it, it felt a lot like the last time we came on this podcast together and talked about the Minnesota game, <laughs> which was also an overtime playing game. Um, but this one obviously had a lot larger stakes, but I mean, let's, let's just jump right into it from the improbable one man nine Oh run by D'Angelo Russell in the fourth down seven with five minutes left to the clutch sidestep Reeves layup over JJJ in the fourth to LeBron James high off the glass game tying layup over JJJ's outstretched arms, AD's end of regulation block on Morant, followed by LeBron's half-court heave that swished in to LeBron's driving and one banker on Mr. Dylan Crooks to steal the game. (laughs) Alan, given the trajectory of the game, how gassed AD and LeBron looked, the Grizz gaining more and more of their confidence and swagger as the game went on, knowing they'd be going back home, potentially tied 2-2, honestly for me... I think it was end of third quarter, and then as we got into the fourth, and especially during that five-minute mark of the fourth when we were down seven, I had no faith in us winning this game once we relinquished the lead in the at the end of the first half and relinquished the lead for good some point in the third quarter. And I was just, I don't know, I, it, what an improbable way to win a game because it seemed like it was all snowballing against us. But vibe check for you before we get into the specifics of the, of the game like how are you feeling as the game progressed because it started off really well and then all of a sudden kind of like the Minnesota game we totally let go of the rope and after a 14 and 1 run to end the first half it was an entirely new game yeah i think as much as we all love chuck charles barkley like the personality 
you know, his basketball takes are usually, um, I don't know, they're kind of weak, you know, which is fine. You, you don't watch him for that. But he did say, I think at halftime, like the Lakers just are too inconsistent. They can't sustain a lead. Um, they're so susceptible to letting other teams come back. And the way that he said it, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, he's actually watching Lakers basketball. And it's not him just being a Lakers hater, you know, which he totally is. Um, so yeah, he's totally right. It was kind of a fool's gold type of feeling uh, to start the game. And I also felt at that same point in the game that you said that we would probably relinquish it and not get it back just because of really the fatigue factor. I mean, mm-hmm. guys were so freaking gassed. And banged up. AD, exactly. He has like a hip thing now, you know, but just to like set the, the, the stage a little bit and then start watching this game until like 1130 at night, um, finished it around 130 ish. And then, but yeah, I, I had a lot of anticipation, you know, for like three or four hours, had my phone on airplane mode. And was just telling myself, I hope this effort to stay awake is all for naught and that, um, you know, I don't end up going to bed super pissed off. So that's kind of the vibe check for me. Yeah, we'll get more into the the roller coaster kind of nature of things, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Alan, it was so important that we got this game. I know fans would have said after if we had lost that it's still 2-2. You know, we can go back to Memphis, we'll, we'll get a game six back. But honestly, you know, just looking at the wear and tear on LeBron James and AD, and this is talking about the entire season to get to this point too, right? But AD getting all these knickknack injuries, including like hurting his hip, which apparently he's been dealing with the last week and a half. LeBron clearly looking gas and was wearing down, breaking down. I mean, these two guys have stress reactions and have injuries that need surgery this upcoming summer. And, you know, for me, I was just playing out the scenario in my head had we lost this game that not even thinking about the physical toll on us, but the mental toll of us having pretty good control over this game for the first 18 minutes, right? We were punking them. We looked physically dominant. And to just let that slip and then have to go into Memphis with with momentum squarely on the Grizzlies' shoulders against that raucous crowd, I I just thought that it would be too much to overcome, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, like, even if we had tied it up 2-2, it it, it felt like the most insurmountable 2-2, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we were 3-1, we at least gave ourselves a buffer so that we can come back home should we lose on Wednesday to the Grizzlies, we come back home to a closeout game. So that was the most important part. And we've given our chance now, if we close it out on Wednesday, Alan, to get rest, much needed rest before our next opponent, you know? So let's get into like the lit stuff, man, because goddamn, seriously, what a game. LeBron James 2020, you know, Shaq had that great line about how Dylan Brooks was like, I'm not respecting this dude until he gives me 40 points. And Shaq's like, he didn't give you 40 points, but he gave you 22 points and 20 rebounds. 2020, that's 40. You know what I mean? Uh, great one-liner from Shaq. And I believe LeBron is the oldest player since Wilt Chamberlain to have a 2020 game in the playoffs. Crazy. That's nuts, right? LeBron James pulled this one out of his ass, dude. Like, through sheer will, it almost reminded me of Kobe Bryant against the Celtics game seven. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yep. Like, Kobe nothing was... boards too, right? 
He did it on the boards, too. 16 rebounds or something like that. Gosh, it was such an ugly game from him, right? He could not get that three-point shot to fall. He was settling. He couldn't get past Xavier Tillman, you know? (laughs) I was kind of like, I was like, oh, this is kind of sobering. (laughs) You know? I know, but shoot, man. He willed that last high banker off the glass to tie the game. I mean, okay, let's start there, Alan. Your thoughts with six seconds left. How are you feeling? Us down by two. Tommy even texted me, LeBron's going to chuck up a three and we're going to live and die by that shot. And he didn't, you know, he beat Xavier Tillman. I don't know if he beat him, but he put his shoulder down. Physically uh, beat him. Like Physically beat him. But the fact that he got that shot up over the help, JJJ, he, JJJ was very close to blocking that shot, you know? Yeah. Just an incredible game tying shot. So take me through that moment. Did, were you feeling good about it? Or what shot did you think we were going to get? Because we had not been able to get a clean look up until that point. Yeah, you know, I actually did have a feeling that LeBron was going to drive it. Um, mm-hmm. Just because he had been trying to, you know, like the whole game. Um, and he was getting bodied up and denied and, and missing chippies and trying to draw the foul, wasn't getting the calls, super frustrated, which I guess all that is like a recipe for, okay, he's going to chuck a three and go for the win versus forcing OT. But I just thought, dude, they keep going back to the well. I think Stan Van Gundy must have said a bajillion times, like, why aren't they running the pick and roll? (laughs) Do the double drag. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mr. Master of Panic. But I mean, yeah, I was also perplexed. Like, dude, what the hell is this offense right now? Like, like classic Lakers going back years and years and years for pretty much our entire fandom. Right. Um, Just not running sets, relying on ISO, no movement on the weak side, no, no movement at all. Just nothing. Um, But yeah, I mean, we went back to the well and LeBron, like you said, he pulled that thing out of his ass and it was jammed in there. Like butt plug everything everywhere, all at one style. Yeah, man. What what a shot. And I, I, I think, you're right. I think he wanted to put the onus on the refs, and worst case, maybe he gets a foul call. I thought he was going to go for the three just because they were so tired and worn out that I don't know if they thought they had any gas left for overtime, you know, both him and AD. Um, and then D'Angelo Russell was fouled out at that point. Um, but yeah, what an amazing game-tying shot. And then obviously in overtime, he had the and one against Dylan Brooks, right? And let out that insane primal scream. You know, he went left. And, and, you know, like, I love LeBron. I really like him. No one's perfect. Everyone has their moments that kind of bug you a little bit, maybe. And, you know, sometimes LeBron can be a little performative. I, I don't think many people would disagree. And you're just kind of like, eh, it's okay. We'll, we'll give him a pass on that, right? But the way that, like you said, he expressed himself in that moment, there was nothing, like, contrived or forced or, mm-hmm. or anything about it. That was so authentic because his body was like done you know yes um so yeah you could really sense the triumph in that that yell there was something different about that one that got me freaking hyped you know Mm -hmm. i feel like when superstars come especially to the lakers it's like oh what's their moment of when they became a laker and yeah lebron's already had multiple moments like that i mean he won a championship but it doesn't mean that like I'm not, I'm gonna remember this one as one of those signature moments. Um, For sure. Like Kobe had dozens and dozens of signature moments. So okay, yeah, he's our guy. 
Uh, this one is up there for me, even though it's, it's the first round or whatever, and it wasn't even an elimination game. Uh, it was there's just something different. And it's, you know, you brought up the Boston thing. And again, we know this is not the NBA Finals. This is the first freaking round. But, you know, Kobe would always say that that was like the sweetest championship because it was the hardest. Well, LeBron is 38 years old. He's in his 20th season. Every accomplishment at this point is probably like the hardest one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. The bubble is pretty hard, too. But just because of like age and wear and tear, this is different. So depending on how far we get and how much we can accomplish and he can accomplish as an individual just gotta like savor every single one yeah for sure i mean that that yell was pure catharsis from him right and you have to imagine whether it's his age or the foot stress reaction that he has to have surgery on he's he's battling through so much in the moment and you have to think as he's going through this game alan not able to blow past xavier tillman he is probably doubting himself too you know yeah. So I can only imagine for him to pull off some of the biggest plays in the fourth quarter and overtime, what a release that must have been to sort of seal the deal against Dylan Brooks of all people, right? A goofy movie, Dylan Brooks, power line looking MFR, like <laughs> talking the whole talking the whole series, but then not talking post game, right? It, everything is just so poetic in that moment. So Alan, what was one of your outside of the obvious that we just talked about with the, the LeBron plays? What is a crucial play or play of the game for you that stood out uh, apart from that? Honestly, it was 80s tip-in. Mm, in overtime? Yeah, yeah. Um, because he was having such a rough night. Like, just could not get it going. Uh, we could tell he was in pain, you know. But even aside from that, like, it was just one of those games. It was a disappearing act type of deal. And it's it's in those moments where it's like as a superstar you you better find a way to make some sort of impact and uh the fact that we were getting destroyed on the boards all night and that he could muster up the um for whatever you want to call it in that pivotal moment to me yeah that that was the one that was like okay we we're sealing the door here mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me, mine is also an AD play, but it's to start overtime. It's when LeBron James tried to pass it to Dennis Schroeder, and he passed it a little bit too high. John Morant gets his hand on it, gets the uh. ball. Was a foul on John Morant, actually, that they didn't call because he body slammed Dennis Schroeder to the ground. But John Morant dribbles the ball off of JJJ's foot, and then it rolls on the floor. Dennis Schroeder does a little pivot on his butt to grab the ball, throws it to AD, and AD does like a scoop-de-doo layup against JJJ. Like, he looked like a wing in that play, and I, I can't even believe that he hit that shot, you know? And kudos to Dennis for being sharp on the floor. It reminded me of that Lamar Odom play to Kobe during the Phoenix game where Kobe dunked it over Steve Nash, but it was just pure mayhem. Should have been a turnover, Allen, but instead we got two points to start overtime, and I think from there we sort of held serve or held the court and were able to pull it out. But if, if that had been a turnover, you know, it could have swung the game, essentially. And the fact that it was AD doing that play over defensive player of the year, JJJ, meant even more. It's sad that you can count all of AD's shots on one hand. You know, it's that shot, the shot that you mentioned, the tip-in. Before that, he hit that, like, mid-range shot just inside of the three-point line from a LeBron James pitch-out. And then he hit one shot, where was, which was like a hook to start the third. And those are his four shots, you know? Yeah, Anyways. I remember them all vividly. Exactly. And, and we needed all of them. <laughs> Most especially those two that we mentioned in overtime. And obviously, Anthony Davis had that huge block on John Morant with 0.8 seconds left to 
take us into overtime. So yeah, Alan, you know, let's talk about game flow really quickly, and then I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell. Um, yeah, look, the tail of the game was the Lakers looked physically dominant for the first 18 minutes of the half. Looked like they were punking the Grizzlies. They were playing volleyball out there. I think there was one possession where AD blocked a shot. LeBron spiked a shot and then did the Matumbo no, no, no wag, finger wag to the crowd, you know? And we looked like we were going to run away with this game. But as is often the case, this team, this coach, et cetera, et cetera, they do not know how to handle prosperity. There was a 15-3 to run to end the half that was just inexplicable. I don't believe any timeouts were called to try and disrupt that momentum or flow. And then from there, when it became a new game, the Lakers just got punked on the offensive boards. Their defense started to slip, particularly in transition. And then their offense and their shooting, or lack thereof, were just stuck in the mud for the rest of the second half. Um... Ham made some curious moves, limiting Rui's minutes in the first half for whatever reason. He only played eight minutes, and then even in the time that he did play, he only had three shots and couldn't get into a rhythm. What else? Ham didn't stagger LeBron with one of Reeves, AD, and D'Lo like he did the previous game, although that LeBron small ball five unit did pretty well in the second half until the five-minute mark, obviously. Um, Ham also did this curious thing in the third quarter when Reeves got into foul trouble where he brought Malik Beasley in instead of Schroeder or Troy Brown. And I kind of maybe understand because Malik Beasley and D'Lo, they were initially the starting backcourt on this team when they were first traded for. But I don't know, given the way that Beasley has been playing and just the fact that when you think about Beasley and D'Angelo Russell trying to contain the perimeter defensively, that sounds like a disaster. And lo and behold, it was. That was a curious thing. Um but yeah, I think for me, things really turned on a dime when Anthony Davis got hit in the balls and got a technical foul, you know, in, in that second quarter. And then from there, we just lost our composure. And yeah, I'm not sure why Ham didn't call a timeout at all during that stretch, that 15 to 3 stretch, that 14 to 1 stretch. And then, yeah, it was an uphill climb from there. D'Angelo Russell helped stem the tide a little bit in the third quarter when he had, I think he had three straight field goals, six straight points, including a hockey assist to... Anthony Davis, who passed it to Jared Vanderbilt for the dunk. So D'Angelo Russell was responsible for about eight points to start the third quarter to sort of keep us afloat. And then from there, LeBron just looked banged up and old, you know, like we've been mentioning all episode. He couldn't get by Xavier Tillman. He kept trying to pick and roll with Schroeder in the fourth quarter to seek out that John Morant switch. But because that was Dennis Schroeder instead of D'Angelo Russell, Morant wasn't really paying any attention to Dennis Schroeder and was almost soft doubling LeBron and crowding LeBron. So that didn't work. The paint was always crowded. Um, and yeah, D'Angelo Russell fouling out obviously didn't help, although credit to Dennis Schroeder for doing an amazing job on John Morant defensively in the fourth quarter in overtime. Um, one thing I will credit Ham for, though, is the fact that, and this will transition us into D'Angelo Russell, but Alan, did you have the feeling like I did when we were at the Minnesota play-in game that Darvin Ham may just sit D'Angelo Russell the rest of the fourth. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely had that feeling because, I mean, yeah, he did have that um, series, like you said, in the third where he got it going like from the mid-range. But, oh, gosh, I can't remember what kind of triggered Darvin taking D'Lo out of the game. But I remember like kind of understanding it, but also like, shit, I hope. That doesn't spell the end of him for the night. Yeah, I, I do remember that. And I also had 
uh, some apprehension <laughs> about that move. I think what's what triggered him to do that was defensively, D'Angelo Russell was just yeah. like kind of an airhead the whole game, like off ball. And then whenever he got switched on to Morant, it was just like a layup line. And I think just, you know, Dennis Schroeder, he did an amazing job on John Morant defensively when he came in. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, you know, it's probably going to be LeBron, Rui, AD, Schroeder, and Reeves, right? It made sense because that's the unit that started the fourth. So I was like, I don't know if he's going to rejigger this, yeah, you know? Right, right. But thank God that he did because here we go, Alan. Let's talk about critical Mr. Coco 5, Mr. The Cold Never Bothered Me Anyway, Ice in His Veins. Um, Alan, I don't think we can understate how huge his 9-0 run in the fourth was. Because the Lakers were down seven with five minutes left, all momentum squarely on the Memphis Grizzlies side, with AD and LeBron huffing and puffing. To me, that's, I think, collectively for a lot of Lakers fans, in their minds, the game was pretty much over, given the trend and trajectory of the game. But D'Lo came in, injected ice in his veins and life into the crypto crowd and Lakers team, and holy crap, he caught on fire at just the right time. I mean... What 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 a game for D'Angelo Russell to hit 45% or higher. His first game where he hit 45% or higher in the playoffs. He was 7 of 15, 46.7% from the field. Probably should have been 8 for 15 because he had that last three-point shot of his, like rim in and out. Yeah. But hitting three threes during that stretch and essentially making it a new game and actually getting us the lead, 99-97, Alan, was huge and we wouldn't have pulled that game out. He, he pretty much set the stage for LeBron James and Anthony Davis to do what they did in at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime. And actually, I know this doesn't fit the narrative that people have of D'Angelo Russell for this playoff series because he's been hot and cold. He's been up and down. Um, he's made some lazy plays defensively. He's been undisciplined and a spacey airhead off ball fouling three-point shooters, you know, breakaway fouls, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, Alan, if you look at this series as a whole, he's actually carried us through integral stretches where we were either losing momentum, we were straight up trailing, or our offense had just stalled. So in game one, D'Angelo Russell had an offensive spurt to end the first half to keep us in the game. And then in that third quarter, he pretty much owned that entire quarter, hitting threes and mid-range shots, setting up guys, to essentially set the stage for Rui and Reeves to go nuts in the fourth quarter. So that was game one, right? Um, in game three, when the Lakers had when the Lakers had let that big lead slip, and you know, by the fourth quarter, John ja Morant was going on this insane run of his own, D'Angelo Russell actually hit the last field goal in the last four minutes for the Lakers to put the Lakers up 12 and really put that game away with a minute left, right? And then last night, he had that spurt to start the third, where he had six straight points all on his own, driving into the mid-range in paint, being aggressive. And then, of course, the fourth quarter, coming in cold, Allen, he hits three threes in a row, 9-0 run in like one to two minutes. Um, and, you know, that shot where Austin Reeves, it was semi-transition, right? LeBron James has it, he pitches it over to Austin Reeves, and then Austin Reeves turns around and pitches it back to D'Angelo Russell, and D'Lo lets it fly. Allen, the entire series, D'Lo has been hunting for that momentum-surging three-point shot of his, and he's missed every single time, right? And he even missed it in the first half. You know what? I, you know which one I'm talking about, right? It was an Austin Reeves pass over his shoulder as well. Yeah, he was wide open. Would have been perfect. Went in and out, and then from that there, felt like when you cross someone up, 
you know, break their ankles, but yes. then you miss a three. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. So exactly. Well, Alan, that same shot happened in the fourth quarter, and boy, did D'Angelo Russell redeem himself. So your thoughts on D'Angelo Russell's heroics? This is the stuff, Alan, that I think you know when we started this podcast, and D'Angelo Russell was just a rookie. This is the type of stuff that we dreamt of, right? D'Angelo Russell hitting big shots, one of our own, and. It's actually come to pass, but in such a roundabout way, you know? <laughs> yeah. I did the Wolverine celebration at uh, whatever the hell time it was when I was watching. <laughs> I was like, very no nice. He sees me doing this, but fuck it. I don't care. Yeah, dude. D'Lo is such an interesting player, you know? Um, I feel like his his demeanor and like outward persona and all that stuff, it's super even keeled now, right? Like, super, like... Uh, like stable <laughs> just when you hear him talk for the most part um he had the weird thing about i'm not a point guard i'm a guard thing but yeah we'll let that one slide um but there's this like maturity about him we've talked about it within the last month or so of he's an adult now he's a vet all those things but you know he still has his moments that are like dude what the hell is going on you can't make anything right now like you said all the airheaded stuff um really trying to find a shot, struggling. But then when he's going on a tear like he did last night, those are still the same types of shots that he'll get for himself. And then they'll just miss, <laughs> you know. Um, but that last night, they just happened to be going in at the like most critical point in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I could convince myself in those split seconds that the ball has not, you know, hit the rim yet, like, there's no way this is going into, oh, this is for sure going to go in. Yep. Um, it, it's such like a Jekyll and Hyde <laughs> kind of feeling with him. Um, I was trying to think of like a comp, you know, in, in at least Lakers history of a guy that has elicited these up and down emotions from us. And I really couldn't think of one. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you I... could think of anybody like, I don't know, he just he brings out like, I don't mean this like in a mean way at all, but like the best and worst, you know, mm-hmm. um, because he's kind of a chucker, you know, like he's, he's going to shoot a shot. You, you got to give him that. But um, I think like just working through this emotionally, it's like, we have such high hopes for him, right. To have, like you said, going back to when he was a rookie, he's going to hit these shots and we're biased. We have like a, an emotional kind of attachment to the dude. So I think cause we want it so bad for him when they don't go down and they don't go down in flurries. Uh, it just hurts even more. So when mm-hmm. they do fall down like they were last night, it's it's even sweeter. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's just who he is. I'm like, can't we find something in the middle? It's like, no, probably not. This <laughs> is just how it's going to be. Yo, you you gotta let you gotta let D Russ be Russ, Alan. And it, it's it, <laughs> oh, it's so funny because you contrast it to Russell Westbrook, right? And Look, man, Russell Westbrook could be having, and I don't want to throw shade at Russell Westbrook, but this is why you trade for D'Angelo Russell, right? Because with Russell Westbrook, he could be having the best three quarters of his life, Alan. It doesn't matter. When it comes to the fourth quarter, you're worried. Yeah. You're not sure what's going to happen. D'Angelo Russell could be having the worst three quarters of his life, and Alan, he comes in cold with six minutes left. He sees the ball go in the hoop, and oh my God, if he gets two other clean looks, it's over, you know? He may not even need a clean look because he took that shot over JJJ, right? Where he's dribbling the ball. I mean, what a stretch by D'Angelo Russell. LeBron James said it himself. They wouldn't have had, they would not have gotten that shot to close the game the way that they did without D'Angelo Russell. And I said it on Twitter. LeBron James 
praising a Russell for his clutch timely play. What a time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the biggest thing, too, the last thing I'll say about D'Angelo Russell before we take it to break, Alan, is, you know, before the playoffs started, I did get this sort of front runnery sort of feel from D'Angelo Russell where the times that he's gotten hot with us, the times that he's done well, the times that he's, you know, turned to the crowd and slapped his chest um, have all been times where things are going well. You know, the Lakers are either building a big lead, everybody's healthy, just things are going the right direction, you know, and D'Angelo Russell tends to amplify those moments. And so I kind of saw him as a front runner player, and I was interested to see how he could rebound if he's struggling or things are not going well, right? And actually, this playoffs has been, I think, a good learning moment for D'Angelo Russell, and I think he's grown a lot because, Alan, this has not been a pretty series for him, to say the least. But as I mentioned, he has been very timely in the stretches where he's contributed and the Lakers have needed him to contribute in each of those timely moments in game one, game three, and game four, namely game one and game four, when he had two of his best games. Is he shooting well? No, but he's passing the ball well. He's hitting these shots when they need him. And Alan, when he's hitting these shots, they all come in these like one to two minute bursts, nothing in between, like you said, but the Lakers needed them each and every time. And so for me, that shows tremendous growth because I think Last year's D'Angelo Russell may have just buckled to the pressure and all of the ugliness. And instead, it's like, you know what? It's it's make or break time. And last night, D'Angelo Russell made shots and opened the opportunity for us to steal that game again. So, I mean, huge props to D'Lo. Why don't we take it to break? And when we return, let's just close it out and talk about AD, um, LeBron James. And Alan, we haven't really talked about Reeves and Rui throughout this series. So I just want to get your thoughts on them. So... We will catch you guys after the term. All right, so we are back. Alan, some quick unsung heroes of the game. I, I really quickly wanted to shout out Jared Vanderbilt's start to this game. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. he had like our first 10, 10 out of our first 12 points. He hit two threes, ended the game with 15 points, but was also causing havoc on the defensive end with three blocks. But really it was his offensive performance in the first few minutes of the first that really set us up for success because we couldn't hit a shot. We couldn't hit anything. And he really stemmed the tide there and kept us pretty much kept it a tie game till we could find our rhythm. And then by that point, I think we were up to end the first, right? And we really had the momentum rolling. And that was all thanks to Vanderbilt's start. Um, And then also, again, wanted to just shout out Schroeder's defense on Morant in the fourth quarter and overtime. Schroeder did not have a good offensive game. In fact, Every time he had the ball in the offensive end, he was either turning the ball over or taking a bad shot, but he made up for it with his defensive play on Morant. And I think Morant only had like three points in the second half, something wild like that. Yeah, barely anything Um, at all. But yeah, talk to me about Anthony Davis, who had a rough game offensively, kind of mirrored game two, but defensively was still elite and obviously came through in the end. Um, Only four field goals all in the second half, but... You could tell he was fighting through his hip injury, being banged up. Um, I also felt like, again, we we didn't activate him in the right ways. We didn't give him the ball at the top of the key. We didn't let, let him dribble the ball up the half court the way he likes. We didn't hit him in movement. But outside of that, it was just an ugly game. He was getting banged around down low. But he found ways to impact the game positively and he came up big when we needed him to come up big with that tip-in shot that scoop-de-doo layup against JJJ and 
yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis gutting it out. What are your thoughts on AD? Yeah, um, in a game like yesterday, you know, as, as frustrating as it is offensively, it is important to remember his defense, which has been absolutely stellar. Um, his rim protection, I feel like it has become infectious. I mean, LeBron, you know, is like goaltending shots um, just because. <laughs> and like, every, it's just like to quote Chuck and Kenny, like, what kind of party is it? It's a block party. Um, that's what it's been. I forgot mm-hmm. how many we've had in the postseason. They mentioned it during the broadcast, but uh, we're by far, I think, leading all playoff teams right now with block shots. And AD is by far leading all players. He's averaging of like 4.8 blocks a game, which is insane. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, for as much shit we give him about not being aggressive and assertive enough offensively, there is that side of it. It's not affecting the defensive end, which, you know, we're desperately, you know, in need of um, someone to step up in that position, especially with a team like Memphis who likes to drive and and score so much in the paint. So, um, yeah, credit to AD for sure. And, yeah, I, I just feel like he gets a lot of crap, but he's kept his mouth really quiet when it comes to whatever injuries he's dealing with right now. And just until it becomes visibly apparent, which it did last night. So uh, yeah, credit to him for sure. And let's just hope that he doesn't fall anymore on his hip tomorrow. Like I feel like whatever pain he's dealing with, he's just going to have to tolerate it, do the best that he can. And uh, hopefully it just doesn't get aggravated. Yeah, and if you want any silver lining, it's the, it's the fact that AD is shooting, like, what, 42% from the field or something ridiculous like that in this series? And, you know, kind of like how he bounced back from Game 2 to have 33 points the next game, hopefully he can have one of those AD games in Memphis. He doesn't you know usually I mean? have two poor games in a row. Exactly. <laughs> so we can bet on Wednesday. For sure. So credits AD for his tremendous defense and his clutch shooting and obviously that insane tip-in. Um... We already pretty much talked about LeBron James, so I want to skip over ah. LeBron. Exactly. That's all you need to say, honestly. Uh, shout out to D'Lo. I'm pretty sure he started that trend. It has to uh, be him, dude. It has to be. Um, Alan, let's talk about Austin ah. Reeves. Maybe he deserves those too, actually. Um, <laughs> if you had any questions or doubts about how Austin Reeves would perform under the brightest of lights, I'm guessing that has been quelled by this series because... Austin had another 23 points. He had that huge, like, sidestep layup against JJJ, uh, that huge layup against JJJ in the fourth. Um, He assisted D'Angelo Russell on two of his threes in the fourth. He's averaging 17 points in this series. Obviously, you've seen his fourth quarter late game heroics in game one, where LeBron James let him just let him do his thing with AD spamming the pick and roll. Yeah, he has been more than a glue guy, Alan. He has been our third best player in a lot of respects and a guy that we kind of go to when the offense is stalling out and maybe D'Angelo Russell doesn't have it. I mean, it's such such a luxury to have two of these guys in our backcourt, you know? They can sort of ping pong back and forth with one another to see who's got it going. And whichever guy is in a rhythm and a flow, you give that guy the ball. And, you know, more oftentimes than not, it's been Austin Reeves. And if nothing is happening... Austin Reeves will just put his head down and try to drive it into the paint and get a foul call or something, you know? So what have your thoughts been on Reeves in last night's game, but I guess just in this series as a whole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say it earlier when you asked about pivotal moments and momentum changers and 
when we thought the game was over and crap like that. I actually thought, oh, we're screwed when he got into foul trouble mm. <laughs> that early in the game. I, I thought, oh, this is bad, dude. Like without him, both ends of the floor, uh, we lose a lot of balance. And I mean, he was leading our team in scoring, right, for like the longest time. And um, at that moment, I was feeling pretty, pretty negative. <laughs> but yeah, as far as what he has brought to the table, it is just a level of stability. And I mean, at this point, it's the playoffs and you play the same team over and over and they're able to scout you repeatedly, make adjustments, all that kind of stuff. And uh, as a result of that, especially, you know, younger players with not as much experience, you think that they're going to get exposed in some type of way. And it's really interesting because Memphis is this defensive, you know, grindhouse, whatever kind of team. And yet Austin has still found a way to be incredibly effective, efficient. He is him. And, um, man, it's like you said, if, if anyone had any questions about whether he could sustain this is just kind of like, a fluke or whatever, everyone's going to catch up to him. May happen yet. If anything, he's getting better. And it's, it's fun to see him come into his own, um, Mm -hmm. just based on the body language and stuff, you know, and it's, it's a combination of so many different factors. I mean, the team is playing well, first of all, like there's actually something to celebrate and be happy about that's significant. Um, the stage is set. It's the playoffs. It's his first time in this magnitude, this environment. I believe last night he told, Mm -hmm. LeBron, or he just, Austin generally said, like, this is the most important, like, basketball I've ever played in my life, and this is the best moment <laughs> of my life. Um, and LeBron was saying that he's grateful that he gets to be a part of that, um, mm-hmm. having been around for so long. So, it's in, like, that will rub off on a guy like LeBron and kind of rejuvenate him in, in some ways. Um, so, he's just such an integral freaking part of this team. Who would have thought... Um, And the fact that him getting into foul trouble scared the crap out of me, I think shows you just how important he is. Um, Yeah. He's so clutch, so calm, cool, under pressure. Uh, Sky's the limit for this dude, honestly. Yeah, him BK. And when LeBron James was kind of stalling out in the fourth quarter, I was like, I think we need to go to Austin, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, Austin Reeves is averaging 17.8 points, 4.5 rebounds, 4 assists, almost a steal a game in these playoffs, shooting 49% from the field, 41% from three, 78% from the line. Just incredible. Um, Alan, let's close the show and talk about Mr. Rui Hachimura, the Black Samurai. Um, 18 points in this playoffs, 5.5 rebounds, 1 assist, 58% from the field, 62% from three, 83% from the line. He has hit 10 of 16 from three-point land, Allen, if you could believe it or not. He probably had his worst game statistically last night, but if you actually watched the game and saw his defense in the fourth quarter and overtime, I mean, Rui Hachimura was working his butt off, you know, trying to box out and get offensive rebounds, trying to close out on Desmond Bain on the perimeter, you know, stick a body on JJJ. And I'm really proud of Rui last night, Allen, because... Obviously, he had that eight-minute first half. He only had, like, three shots, couldn't get in a rhythm, was like... One of seven at one point. And then at the end of the third quarter, LeBron James pitches him out a three-point shot on the baseline and he drills it. Ties the game up at 84-84 with like eight seconds left. And that was a huge shot. It was going to be one of my runner-up candidates for plays of the game just because the fact that Rui hit that shot, given how poorly he had 
mm-hmm. shot up until that point was huge, you know? And that carried on to his kind of defensive aggression throughout the rest of the game. And so, but overall, though, I mean, even with last night's two for nine performance, Rui's averages are 18 and five in only 27 minutes. So, your thoughts on Rui Hachimura? Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. The fact that he wasn't off to a great start, wasn't very impactful early, and then could still drain a three in clutch time is huge. Um, it, it sounds like Phil Handy <laughs> has just been like the the Rui whisperer, and like he is for so many players when it comes to development. Um, and, you know, we're not, you and I, we're not professional basketball players. <laughs> like We've never coached or anything, but... You can tell his shot mechanics have improved so much. Um, I oh, bet yeah. Stu Lance is giddy seeing all the arc <laughs> on his shot now because you can just see how flat that trajectory used to be. Um, and it's just different now. He's actually giving himself a chance <laughs> to make these shots. Uh, even from the free throw line, when we first acquired him, like he was shooting a good percentage of Washington. I felt like once he was here, it was like practically 50-50 every time he got to the line. And I'm like, man, why does this always happen to players when they come to the Lakers, you know? Um, so he's rounding in a form at the exact right time. Even in a night that wasn't looking so great, he found a way to be effective. Um, like you mentioned on the defensive end. It, it's so funny how people talk about him, including a guy like like James Worthy or Derek Fisher or whoever it is in the media. They're like, man, he's got such a like good body you know, broad shoulders, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And it, it comes up all the time with him um, as if we're still surprised. And I, I just think it's because, number one, he was playing at Washington and, and no one was paying attention to him over there. Um, if anything, people probably remember him more from college <laughs> when he was at Gonzaga. Yeah. And um, now he's got the stage, you know, he's he's with the Lakers and he can be appreciated for what he's doing. And uh, he, he's just showing out right now. So... Um, he's become one of our more like absolutely consistent, uh, you know, assets on the team. If he's having an off night, it does feel like, oh shit, somebody else has to step up now. Cause we need this dude, uh, to be solid. So, um, yeah, dude, it's, and things weren't looking good at the re- end of the regular season, right? Like mm-hmm. the last month and a half or so really wasn't getting much playing time. Had some DNPs, just like, oh my gosh, there's no way he's going to fall out of this rotation. And and here we are. Exactly. I mean, what a journey it's been for Rui. And I think to your point about why it seems like we're consistently getting more and more surprised by Rui is I think it's just a natural progression of his entire career. I mean, this dude played baseball up until middle school and didn't even think he was a basketball player, you know? He lived in Japan, and then even when he played college basketball in Gonzaga, he actually lost a lot of valuable practice time on the basketball court because he had to learn English. Like, I read up on this, you know? So Mm -hmm. he's just kind of filling in the gaps as he goes. And we're kind of... We're literally seeing him come into his own, and it's just such a joy to watch. And what a amazing story to see unfold. You talked about seeing Austin come into his own right on the court, and you're seeing that from Rui as well. And, you know, for us, we're, we've been Rui's biggest fans from the start when we first traded him because, you know, with all of our Japanese, Japanese-American connections, I mean, Alan literally works in Little Tokyo. And even before we had traded for him, we were pining for him, even in the last two years prior and then, as you mentioned, his warts started to show uh, when Vanderbilt came in. Vanderbilt was the new hot forward, and it was almost like, where does Rui fit into this, right? But now it's like, Rui's our secret weapon. 
when he first came to Lakers, he actually played pretty well, and we we characterized him as steady and boring, right? But in a good way. Now he's excitingly dependable, Alan. It's like, now he's going to jam it on JJJ off his own dribble, right? Guys are talking shit and said he had a boring dunk package, so he yeah, had dude. to show him. Well, now he's going to express himself on the court. How many times have we seen wow. Rui yell at the crowd now? And it's like, I, I feel cathartic for him. Love you know, it. it's been so nice to see him express himself and have so much fun out there. And man, yeah. this is doing so much for his development. I cannot wait to see Rui next season, you know, even though we're living in the present right now. So it's just been shit. It's been fun. Game fun four. Lakers basketball. Oh my God. Fun lit Lakers <laughs> basketball. Well, the Lakers have a chance to close this out tomorrow. <sighs> Last question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I agree. I'm like, eh, we'll see. I mean, we've seen enough of this team at this it's point. And it's a trap, but also Alan... They're so tired. Yeah, like yeah, I can't yeah. even blame you them. Travel, you know? like, yeah, we're Memphis not. Playing. Should not be a Western Conference team. It doesn't make any sense. I I agree with you. <laughs> and Tennessee. now, and now we don't have that luxury of having like the two two day gaps in between games, right? And yeah, I just don't know if we have the gas, if we can muster up enough energy to close this out. But I will say, Alan, if we do have a shot at doing it, a good strong start is crucial. If we fall behind early versus that crowd, I think it'll snowball and that'll be done very quickly. But if we get off to a strong start, we could not only build up a buffer for the inevitable run that the Grizzlies will have, but if we have that buffer, we may ensure that it, that it stays a game till the very end. And then by that point, it's a coin flip. And maybe LeBron James and AD are like, oh my gosh, if we just pull this game out, we'll have more rest. You know, it's kind of like how they pulled out the Minnesota play-in game when it seemed like all was lost. They were like, no, we do not want to play another play-in game against the OKC Thunder. Let's finish this now. So mm-hmm. if there's anything going for us and if we do have a shot to close it out or if we do close it out, it'll be because of those factors. If we start off strong and LeBron, LeBron James and Anthony Davis see blood. The other thing too, Alan, is if we start out strong, there's a good chance we could really demoralize the Memphis Grizzlies, you know? take their heart out but we shall see all right with that said gosh it's lit alan what a game i'm sure everybody's still watching all the highlights and yeah as soon as tomorrow here we go let's try and close this out but if we don't we'll be back at crypto.com arena to try and do this thing and get out of the first round since the bubble playoffs so alan i will catch you later Laters. it's lit lit lit